0: Good afternoon and welcome to this, the first edition of the third season of the 21 News Podcast. I'm Managing Editor Justin Mitchell. Now, first of all, I want to thank all of you who listen. Since launching in 2020, more than 18,000 episodes have been downloaded, and so for that, I thank you all from the bottom of my heart. So it's a new year, and one that's poised to be one of the most challenging for the fate of American democracy. We're coming up on the one-year anniversary of the January 6th insurrection at the United States Capitol, led by supporters of the former president seeking to disrupt the peaceful transfer of power. But my guest today says the greatest threat to the free will of the people is happening with much less attention at the state level. He's the former Ohio Democratic Party chair and the author of the book, Laboratories of Autocracy, A Wake-Up Call from Behind the Lines. David Pepper, thanks for being with us today.
1: Thank you for having me. Happy New
0: Year. You too. Happy New Year. So Well, we hope. <laughs> um, we hear a lot about the politicians at the federal level refusing to acknowledge the truth that Donald Trump did indeed lose the 2020 election and what impact that may have on American democracy. But your contention is that's not even the greatest threat. So talk a little about that. What is the greater threat to the future of American democracy?
1: So the, obviously uh, what happened January 6 is really troubling. The big lie is really problematic, but as I try and lay out on my, my book, those are only the most recent um, moments of an attack on democracy, and they actually have less legal effect than the other attacks that don't get nearly as much attention, which is all around this country in state houses, and Ohio is one of them. They are eroding democracy through laws they are passing not you know it in in, unlike you know storming a building you know you if you see people storming a building it doesn't look legitimate right it kind of looks like okay something's off here that's not going to work and and thankfully it did not work but in state houses if you're passing laws that rig elections so you can't lose them or attack certain voters because you know they won't vote for you or you attack the independence of courts or you change the way elections are run Those things are happening, they're actually passing. They don't get nearly the attention of January 6th and they sort of settle in as if they're all legitimate. But if you add them all up, all of a sudden you can find yourself a few years into laws like that without really a functioning democracy. And you have what, what, you know, Donald Trump yesterday endorsed this guy, Viktor Orban in Hungary. Well, that's what Viktor Orban has made it so he can't lose by all the steps I just described. What he's doing there is actually very similar to what state houses in America, like Ohio, have been doing for years.
0: So, so Long term. Well, so talk about what's going on in Ohio, because we've heard some of this stuff in states like particularly Georgia. I remember around this time last year in Georgia, there was a lot of talk about their voting laws, and, um, and that did get at least... A lot of national attention for a little while. Ohio. It seems like a lot of the discussion is about the the redistricting maps, but uh, but is there more than that going on?
1: Yeah, I mean, Ohio was actually one of the precursors that other states have modeled. You know, since to, to Obama won Ohio twice, uh, pretty decisively, and he won it on the strength of the diverse electorate of larger urban some of the counties in the valley, but Cuyahoga County, Cincinnati, where I sit. Columbus, Dayton, you name it. And he, and and those, that coalition was pretty strong. And and at that moment, we also had a Democratic governor and we actually had a Democratic state house. After 2010, when Republicans did win, they went to work tearing apart that coalition. Uh, They they purged millions of voters from the rolls. Those voters are dramatically overrepresented in the city of Youngstown, city of Cleveland. It's a minority, young, uh, diverse voters are the ones who were way overrepresented in the purging of voters. They've done everything they can to roll back early though. And now we're seeing, you know, the se- they're trying to do a second decade of extreme partisan gerrymandering. Now, my hope is, and we won't know this, hopefully hopefully we'll figure that we'll get the answer soon. My hope is they, they went too far and the court will strike it down, but, but they are trying to lock themselves into power no matter what the voters do. You know, in, in 2018, uh, it, the, the numbers were like 50%, 49%. 50% of Ohioans voted for Republican for the State House. 49% voted for Democrat. Well, under the rig map they drew, that's not reflected. It, that the, the map was something like, you know, low 60s. Uh, they're trying to do that even more this time. And by the way, my book talks a lot about Ohio because I know Ohio. But everything I'm describing, I and I put this in the book, Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Florida, Texas, Uh, and you know, and and beyond gerrymandering, what Frank LaRose did around drop boxes last year was outrageous. Everyone in an entire county the size of Mahoning or Hamilton has to go to one drop box when when other states had them all over and you didn't have to wait at any lines to vote there in a pandemic. I mean, that was outrageous suppression. And when he did that, he was guided by a Washington, D.C. think tank that are sort of the world's experts on how to suppress the vote. Uh, so the, it's just in Ohio, the reason I call the book Laboratories is these states are always learning from each other. So LaRose's Dropbox ban has now been adopted in numerous states. Our, our purging process was upheld by the Supreme Court five to four. Other states are now going to do it. The gerrymandering here is, is taking place elsewhere. So these states are all doing it at the same time, but they're also perfecting it by looking at each state. We happen to be a state many other states have learned from over the last 10 years. So we're one of the, you know, unfortunately, the leaders in this in one of the forerunners to other states doing the same stuff.
0: So in your view, that's really where people's eyes ought to be on the ball, and maybe not even as much on some of these. Like there are certain sort of doomsday scenarios that you hear talked about. For instance, um, some states. Uh, you know, there there was an effort after the 2020 election in in Georgia to simply have the Secretary of State step in and say this is you know this election's rigged, and we're going to submit our own slate of electors. That kind of really dramatic stuff that uh, that people are afraid could happen to. Subvert the, the will of the people and, um, and and not that that's not a valid concern but actually keeping your eye on this much more mundane stuff
1: all is important it. all of it I mean what they try to do here's my biggest fear what they try to do on January 6th, they have four years to fix all the mistakes they made and to get way ahead of the curve so the next time they do it no one has to storm a building because they worked it out ahead of time and so we do have to focus on the way electoral college votes are are decided. We do have to focus on you know what they were trying to do on January 6 is say oh there's a controversy in Arizona about who won, so the state legislature will pick the winner. They're going to try and do that next time around, but well before January 6. So we have to focus on that. But my broader point is to say, you have to focus on state You know I see every single day you know, Taylor Green banned from Twitter and and Boebert and Jim Jordan gets a lot of attention now none of them are in the majority none of them have passed a single law so we're focused on them because they seem kind of crazy to be honest but they're actually not doing the most damage who's doing the damage hundreds of people just like them who view the world as they view it who are in the majority in state houses in districts they can never lose because they're rigged passing actual laws those people are more dangerous than than Marjorie Taylor Greene is right now. Now, if she's in the majority, I'm more worried. But it's, sure. it's the equivalent of, of her and those other characters in state houses. And let's be clear, and this is not, you know, you mentioned my type, my former job as a Democratic Party chair. This is bigger than just a Democratic Party. This is democracy in the, in the balance. And one of the things that people in Ohio, I think, know that many other states are figuring out, these state houses are full of people, and there are some exceptions, including some from the Valley, but full of people, most of whom have never won a real election. They've literally been in districts they could never lose. Their entire career has been in a district that essentially was not a democracy. So they're now in charge, but they don't actually, they themselves personally have never experienced the democratic process. They're, in fact, scared of it. Because they know from any of them it would be the end of their careers, so they're doing everything they can to keep it from happening. Not just to help, you know, Trump or Jim Jordan, to keep themselves in power. And and I think the damage done by an entire generation that's lived in politics without democracy, the damage is far worse than people appreciate. But you see it in Ohio every single day, the way they conduct themselves, and now the way they're ignoring the Constitution, which was supposed to make them actually draw fair districts.
0: So you raise an important point about this not being a partisan issue because I was gonna I was gonna get to that. Um, right now we are seeing a lot of Republican officials and Republican elected uh, elected members of Congress and members of state houses that are that are the ones engaging in this sort of thing. But is there a future for the Republican Party that purges that autocratic element that is holding so much sway at the moment? I mean, what do you say to someone who? may sit right of center, they're a conservative. There's a lot of conservatives in our viewing area right now who are not necessarily anti-democratic. Um, right. So what do you say to somebody who sits on the right of center and they don't see what you're saying, they say, this is overblown fear, this is just about bashing Republicans, this is about bashing people like me?
1: Right, no, I, I wor- if they read my book, they'll see that I talk about, we have to put other differences aside on other issues right now because the stakes are about democracy itself sure i've run in elections i've won some i've lost some when i've lost them in a fair fight congratulations the Republican who beat me gets to implement their policy positions good for them you don't get to draw the rules so you never lose the pen. that's what they're doing my hope and what you know one of the best parts about the book i've written i've been on all sorts of podcasts and shows with people who are either still Republican or at least would say I was a Republican. Now I'm independent who agree with me. You know, people forget that only a few years ago, George W. Bush signed the Voting Rights Act. It was almost unanimous in the Senate. Ronald Reagan signed the Voting Rights Act. So when I say it's not partisan, it wasn't partisan very long ago. One thing that we all generally agreed on was go have an election. If you win, put into place, you know, if you believe in tax cuts, go for it. If you believe in something else, go for it. But you don't get to actually destroy democracy with the power you won in one election. That's what they're doing. And and I would say to a conservative who isn't part of that, you know, since when is lack of accountability in anything a good idea? Well, right now, we it always I mean, if you if you got to do your job, no matter how bad your ratings were, you would, you know, you and you knew that you wouldn't be very good at it. Uh, Well, that's what's happening in these state houses. Ohio, and and I don't mean to be too bleak about it, but I go through this in the book, Ohio is failing in almost any way you can measure. Public health, our cities and towns, small towns are mostly falling apart. Our public education system was ranked fifth 10 years ago. It's now in the mid-20s and falling. We've got corruption, you know, number one state in the country ranked in corruption, yet none of them lose their office because they're in rigged districts they can't lose. In nowhere else in life would conservatives or liberals say that's a good thing. So why do we accept it in politics? These bozos in the state house need to actually have districts where they have to earn their victory, just like people have to do in every other fast of life. So that's why when I say it's not it's not just a partisan thing. I, I have friends who are Republicans, conservatives, business leaders in no other part of our life. Do we think that lack of accountability, complete lack of accountability, guaranteed re-election, guaranteed no matter how bad you are, do we ever think that's a good thing? Why would we want that to be the case in politics? In the current drawing of the maps that are in the court, they are trying to guarantee themselves re-election no matter how badly they do. And that just doesn't make sense. It's not good for the towns and people of the valley. It's not good for Cincinnati. And by the way, do you know the irony is it's especially crushing the small towns, many of which are in Republican hands, and I tell them a lot that are dying. They have no infrastructure, no broadband, and I go through in my book. They're represented by the very people that are crushing them, but these towns can't vote them out of office because all the elections are predetermined through these rigged districts. So that's when I say it's bipartisan. That's what I mean. It's sure. it's a broader problem that in no other aspect of our you know modern America. We put up with the state of politics in these gerrymandered, or rigged state houses.
0: Right. So there's a distinction between essentially the liars and the lied to. Um, there, there are lots of there are lots of Republican voters whose views have a they they deserve and they have a right to have their views have a fair shake, have their policies have a fair shake. This is not about right versus left policy. This is about doing the work of governance. And, uh, and right now you're saying, you know, if, there's, if you can't lose an election, there's no incentive to govern well.
1: Yeah, there's a town, I'm sitting in Cincinnati, i <clears> got <throat> a view out the Ohio River. There's a town here about 60 miles away called Manchester, and I put this in my book. And I hope everyone reads the book. It goes through stories like this. And this, this little town is dying. I mean, it literally looks abandoned. Half the storefront, and you'll have towns like that all over Ohio. Half the storefronts are more than half, empty, broken glass, you name it. The biggest employer of that town shut down three years ago. They called their state senator. Most people can't even name these people. That's part of the problem. No one pays attention. They call their state senator. Actually, these are people who are, you know, this is advanced citizenship. They actually thought to call them. Mm-hmm. They had a meeting. They sat down with them. They said, Senator, our town is dying. You actually represent us. What are you? What's the plan to fix it? You know, what he told them, he said, sometimes it's better for your family to do he told them to move that's how confident he is in the in the normal world they would tell him to go right like you failed. policies failed our community we want someone else but in the world of gerrymandering he tells the people asking him what his solutions are sometimes it's time for you to go and and sadly this town is now the smallest it's ever been people have moved and he's doing just fine in, in in a public job that he can't like ever lose so it, it really shows you how screwed up politics get when you when the office holders are guaranteed reelection no matter what they do and even if the town they represent is dying they get to say so confidently you leave and even saying something that absurd will never cost them their office
0: they become kingdoms so it's it's it becomes their town not the people's town
1: yeah No, and, and like most of them Not all, but most, they've never been in a real election. Maybe they got appointed at some point. Maybe (laughs) they had one primary where they won like 8,000 votes, but they haven't been in a real election. They they wouldn't know how to run a real election, and they certainly wouldn't know how to talk to swing voters. They're guaranteed victories, and that always leads to poor results.
0: No. Right after the January sixth insurrection, I had I, I had done a podcast with an expert at Kent State, a historian who had an area of expertise in insurrection, and he told me that the greatest danger at that moment was that historically the danger is not overreacting, but rather underreaction. When these things come to a boil like that, that that's when these movements take hold. They don't just go away on their own. The next wave will be more successful, more sophisticated. Um, and that is, I, you said this earlier. I mean, that's sort of these changes at the state level are kind of the quiet next phase of that process. So, talk about what exactly needs to happen and how much time there really isn't to get it done in order to. Restore this, or restore hope for democracy.
1: Yeah, no. What I would say is, you know, don't always fight the last war. Think through what the next one is. The next one is not storming a building. It's taking care of what they try to take care of January sixth, and doing it through state legislatures with no one paying attention. The number. So in my book, I go through thirty steps that every single person uh, or a variety of people can take to fight back. But the to be clear, if you don't fight back, like you said, the other side will win. I mean, that, history could not be more clear. One, if there's an attack on democracy happening, especially made by state, there isn't a hard pushback, that attack succeeds. That's how we got Jim Crow. That's happened in other countries. Um, the Senate has to pass the Freedom to Vote Act. Um, it protects against some of the things we're talking about, not just gerrymandering and suppression, but also some of the ways you're trying to mess around with the electoral vote count. But don't just sit around and wait for Sherrod Brown to do that, and he will. I'm afraid Rob Portman won't. Um, Every single citizen can get involved in lifting democracy. And I say that, you know, it's it's January Fourth, so it's not too late to do your resolution, right? Right. Make your resolution. If you're listening, part of your mission statement as an American, as an Ohioan, is to lift democracy in your own footprint. If you work at a food bank, you're on the board of a nonprofit or you just are active citizen, use whatever footprint you have to lift democracy. And what do I mean by that? You know, make sure you know who your state house officials are. If they're doing a great job, help them. If they're not, get rid of them. Do not let any of them go unopposed. Um if with the purging of the voters of Youngstown, War and others, get involved in registering voters. If you're on a nonprofit board, let's say a food bank or something, make sure serving food, you're also registering those voters, because they're probably the people who've been purged. That purging has affected millions of people. It's changed outcomes. Um, I go through a lot of other ways. But people can. the first step is saying, part of my mission is to lift democracy. Right now, there's a mission of many people who really erode democracy, for very selfish reasons. The rest of us have to say to ourselves, we're going to commit to lifting democracy. My book goes through a lot of practical ways that every person can do that. You know, I've, I know the mayor of, of Youngstown well. Uh, I know Doug Franklin well. Here's an example. Mayors of every city, they, you know, if they run a rec center or a health clinic or a library, they should be registering people at those locations. The people walking in the door of all those facilities are the very people that the state is purging. So every mayor, every council member, every school board, everyone can figure out what do I do in my sort of what's my part of the world look like and how in that part of the world that I control can I add lifting democracy to
0: what I do every day
1: and if you do that you start to give yourself a fighting chance uh, against what we're
0: seeing so just looking ahead a little further would you consider yourself optimistic or pessimistic and why we're going to do this we're going to save this democracy
1: (laughs) I'll put it I'm very realistic about the so first of all I'm not an alarmist by nature. I, I know, as you said earlier, people—some people will think, "Oh my gosh, no way!" That's the problem. Right? If we put it this way, if we saw everything that was happening in our state houses in another country, we would easily see what it was—that there was a relentless attack on democracy. But in a way, we're too overconfident in our own country's state-level politics; it would never happen here. And if you add up everything that's happening now and compare it to Hungary, where Trump endorsed Orban just yesterday, or you compare it to what happened at the beginning of Jim Crow, it's the same stuff. I'm not an alarmist. I guess I'm not even a pessimist, but I'm a realist. And when I line up all that's happening, attacks on courts, rigged elections, attacks on the election process itself in multiple states, you know, and, and going on and on, It's the same stuff as what's happening in the countries that have lost their democracy, including our own in the past. And so I'm a I'm a wide eyed realist. I know that if you don't fight back, that effort will succeed. If you do fight back, you have a chance. So I'm all about fighting back. And I think if you fight back hard, you can resist it. If you don't, I guarantee it. They will succeed. It's not a 50 50. And that's why and that's why I wrote this book. I mean, I literally I wasn't planning on writing a book.
0: Started as a tweet, right?
1: <laughs> it's literally, like, oh wow, they're acting like laboratories of autocracy. How funny! I mean, and then yeah. I was like, wait, I need to capture this all, and it went on and on and on. Uh, and and my, you know, I, I've gotten a good response, which I'm happy with. But I especially hope Ohioans read it, and I think the people in the valley will relate. The first chapter of the book is Ohio, 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 but each font size gets smaller because Ohio is shrinking failing under this failed lack of democracy in our statehouse. We are a wonderful state. I, I, I was chair of the party. I ran statewide twice. I, I, I've i been the Valley so many times. I've been to Toledo. Great state. So much going on. Such history. You know, John Glenn, Wright Brothers, Neil Armstrong, you name it. And we're cratering. People don't really see it, but it's true by any measure. We're cratering not because we're not a great state. I mean, it, 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 with great people. I mean, people all over the world, all over the country who grew up in Youngstown too many of them aren't here anymore. We're cratering because the politics of the state house are corrupt they're broken and they're no longer a democracy and if things start to fail those people tell the people back home to move instead of them actually being held accountable. this broken politics is failing Ohio on on the things we care about and it also as I said risks sort of the national democratic process. one thing I put in the book just to, just to add to that point. The reason state houses are so dangerous if they become undemocratic is they have levers of power over the national democracy. They draw the district lines for Congress. They can set the voting rules. They send the electors in the presidential election. So it's not just that lack of democracy hurts your state, which it does. You put enough together, it actually risks the na- the nation's democracy. And, and you know one group that knew, knew this were the founders. James Madison wrote at length that he worried what would happen if states fell into undemocratic hands. They worried about the monarchy going back and backdooring right. states. And so they there's literally a clause in the constitution that no one focuses on enough that literally says the United States shall guarantee <coughs> a, state, a Republican form of government. They wrote that because they were basically saying, you know, an invasion from another country to our borders is bad but an attempt to get rid of democracy in any state in this country is equally bad because it could pull down the whole national democracy. And that's why when I look at this debate in Washington with the filibuster, the founders would say, are you kidding me? We put into this constitution a guarantee that you would protect democracy in states. We don't know what this filibuster is, but we know we guaranteed you would act in the constitution. And so I think if you go back on our history, this was an understood risk in state houses and put it this way they're kind of the the um achilles heel of american governance they've got a lot of power like i said but no one pays attention to them and the result of that combination is dangerous It's so it's where if you want to cause damage to the Koch brothers or some other forces or first energy if you want to cause damage you can do it in state houses because no one's paying attention and they're all their elections are rigged you could never do it you know, at the, at the federal level, because you know, there'd be more attention there, but you could get away with the state house, and that's what's happening.
0: Well, I mean, it, it's a lot to think about. It's the it, it's the thing, it, it's the cause going into this year and moving forward that people need to be paying more attention to. You were the first podcast I booked for the year because I, you know, sort of woke up thinking we enter this year with nothing more important on our plate than getting people to pay attention to these basic basic issues so i thank you for your time i hope to talk to you again soon okay
1: hey thanks so much good talking to you
0: you too thank you all right